from Arsenal Audible, my name is Nathan Phillips, and this is a reading of Lost in Lawns by Billy Carpenter of Adu's Barbecue. And in this piece, Billy goes in-depth into our Champions League match against Lawns and looks at maybe why it didn't go so well as we all thought it would. Maybe we're a little overconfident that this Europa League-looking group would be a cakewalk, and, well, we all had a rude awakening uh, earlier this week. But should it have been that way? Maybe not so much. Billy dives into the data and looks at this Lawns team from a different perspective than I'd heard anyone else looking at it. And he also goes back a couple of games over uh, the Bournemouth match and others to kind of see what's been going on with Arsenal recently. He looks at how Raya's had an impact on the team, uh, the impact that Rice has had as well, what's different in the Arsenal attack, and other aspects of the game that I feel like I've been asking questions when watching Arsenal, and I'm sure many of you have as well. So we're going to take a slightly different approach to this, since Billy is an epic writer, uh, putting out short novels uh, on a near-weekly basis. So with the busyness of this season, I'm taking a different approach and hope you enjoy. Now let's get grilling. I hadn't caught too much of Lawns this year, so before the game, I looked to get reacclimated. I was an admirer of their exploits in the last campaign. They earned their Champions League place by finishing second in Ligue 1, just a point short of PSG. Their electric crowd helped propel a 17-1-1 home record, and head coach Frank Hayes shepherded a defensive shape that surrendered only 29 goals and 38 matches. But there's been turnover since then, with Los Openda, 22 goals, moving on to Leipzig and Seko Fofana off to Al Nasser, joining the squad with Sadio Mane, Imeric Laporte, Marcello Brozovic, Otavio, and some guy named Cristiano Ronaldo. The team sought to reload in the form of record signing El Yawahi and former PSG prospect Andy Diouf, but is always going to be a tall order to repeat last season's accomplishments. That assumption has prevailed thus far. Through seven games, they've gained seven points, good for 15th in the league. And so, my initial look through their stats wasn't too concerning. While the underlying picture was more affirmative than their ranking would suggest, with a positive differential based on XG and other stuff like that, their numbers elsewhere looked solidly mid-table. But as I dug in more, my eyebrow raised. As a decently high possession side, they spent very little time with the ball near their own goal. Their 44.7 touches per 90 minutes in their own penalty area were the lowest in the league. So too were their touches in the defensive third overall. They notched 33 fewer touches than anyone in the league. Why is this interesting? Well, look up the pitch. Despite not being a tremendously high-pressing team, here are their ranks in the league. They're second in passes to the final third, second in passes to the penalty area, second in crosses to the penalty area, second in progressive shots, third in shots, and third in key passes. What this means is that they've managed to secure a lot of balls in open play and turn them into incisive attacks with velocity. The direct speed of their attacks averaged under 2 meters per second, the third fastest in France's top flight. They've just been missing their shots. Their 26.3% on-target percentage is the lowest in the league. In so many words, it's a dangerous side. Table be damned. In so many other words, hey, Arsenal! Welcome back to the motherfucking Champions League. There are no easy games. These factors ultimately transpired on Tuesday from Lons. A disciplined but aggressive mid-to-low block, uproarious crowd support, and incisive advanced passing formed a potent cocktail. 
The only thing that didn't take place was the whole missing a lot of shots thing. In truth, their semi-pressing 5-4-1 is almost exactly how I'd defend us. Whereas an Everton can be inherently negative, this Lons vibe can turn into a genuine attack with more ease. Doubling wingers, yes, but aggressively jumping the ball in the midfield and actually sending runners forward when the ball is won. A slightly higher block, simply closer to the opponent's goal. It was a stellar performance from them. It was led, in my mind at least, by Kevin Danzo, the physical, intelligent beast of a centre-back who kept Arsenal's attack in check for much of the night and always seemed to have position. So, Billy, Lons are better than their numbers suggest, and much of their stylings reek of the untapped potential, which they managed to tap against Arsenal. Cool, bro. I'd still like us to win. While this all hopefully explains why Arsenal went full strength, again, it's the motherfucking Champions League. This is all dull comfort to a team with the aspirations of winning the big stuff, and who will have to learn to beat teams like Lons to do it. We also can't cry a travel schedule, or fatigue, or injuries, or act like the issues we saw from Arsenal were aberrational. From our watchtower, there is no mistaking a few trends. 1. Arsenal still make mistakes. 2. Arsenal have trouble generating threat when Sokka is out, or managing himself. 3. Arsenal aren't reliably creating chances to the level of their ambitions. And 4. Arsenal can struggle to adjust their attacking speed. Mistakes unreliable chance creation, and difficulty in attacking at different tempos. These are the hallmarks of a disappointing Arsenal night. But it's been a busy, bewildering time since we spoke last, and this isn't the only game we have to discuss. The depth guys put in a great shift at Brentford and the Carabao. The starters looked their best in a 4-0 win against Bournemouth, and my brain still hasn't managed to eject the Havertz song from its hollow depths. And now we've been humbled in the Champions League. Football is confusing. Arsenal have lost, finally, and the winding road leaves enough room for anyone to interpret according to their priors. The doom-mongers are awake. The sunshine pumpers are at a whisper. Let's investigate. Now I'm going to do something a little unusual this time around, partially due to time constraints as I'm figuring out how to handle this podcast. Uh, this is the first season, and it's a very hectic season with, so far, the Premier League, uh, the Carabao Cup, Champions League. It's a bit of uh, when it rains, it pours sort of situation with the news around here. Enter lull days, sometimes there's almost next to nothing. And then other days, uh, like this week, basically every day this week, there's just been an incredible amount of content to keep up with across the academy, the women's, the first team, doing the Invincible series, and of course, outstanding posts from writers like Billy Carpenter. So, over the next, uh, the middle portion, basically, of Billy's article here, which is roughly 3,000 plus words, I'm not going to read that uh, in today's uh, episode. But what I'm going to do, of course, is link it and strongly, strongly recommend that you go to his his article and read it yourself. Uh, the first section he covers um, is looking at how Rice and Raya are impacting Arsenal's buildup. Uh, very important, of course, the Ramsdale and Raya situation is one that's front of mind for nearly every Arsenal fan. So Billy spends good time looking back over the last couple few games to see how Raya's uh, at goalkeeper has impacted the buildup along with Rice playing there. Also spend some time looking at what Lund's 
What made Long so tough? Uh, such a tough team to play. Digging into more of the details there. Uh, wasn't just the stadium, wasn't just their defensive block. There's more to it, uh, more behind the story. And as always, Billy does a fantastic job uh, digging into that. He spent some time looking what's different in Arsenal's attack. Teams have adjusted to us, of course. We're no longer the surprise team like we were last season. Uh, there's also some trouble, though, with Arsenal's tempo uh, happening this season. That's a little bit different. And passing has changed. Of course, that harks back a bit to Raya coming on board as keeper, but there's also a number of other factors affecting how Arsenal are moving and progressing the ball up the field. And then he spends a few time focusing on key moments. There are a number of key moments over the past few games that have really, really changed the outcome. Um, some positive, some negative, but outstanding work as always from Billy. And now I'm going to finish up with his final thoughts on this game against Lons. And here's one of the primary questions on the mind of any Arsenal supporter. Why so many mistakes? As much as we like to chalk it off to certain players, youth, or inexperience, the truth is harder to dismiss. Jorginho made the clunker against Tottenham, and over the course of the past year, almost everybody has joined in. There's a growing body of research about the psychology of top athletes, and I won't pretend to know most of it. One recent project took years to complete and looked to compile information about the developmental predictors of the world's super elite athletes, called the Great British Medalist Project, a review of current knowledge on the development of the world's best sporting talent. It reviewed and evaluated research on the personality traits of top athletes, concluding that super elite athletes are conscientious, optimistic, hopeful, and perfectionist. I like that. And the last word was an interesting inclusion. Perfectionism often has a cost. Quote, even though sport might encourage perfectionistic thinking, athletes who become preoccupied with perfection may be vulnerable to motivation, well-being, and performance difficulties. This contradiction has been termed the perfectionism paradox by Flett and Hewitt, 2005 and 2014. Now, the healthier form of perfectionism involves striving, striving to master a craft, maintaining high but reasonable standards for oneself, and being self-oriented in this pursuit. The less healthy version is called perfectionist concerns, in which the individual becomes more preoccupied with external factors, unrealistically high standards, fear of a negative crowd reaction, too much focus on mistakes, looking for parental approval, and the like. This form is associated with maladaptive patterns of motivation and emotional well-being and unrelated to performance. In short, it can lead to anxiety and burnout. It's a difficult balance to strike. And it's not always one or the other. But if I were to put on my best Arteta costume and Armani zip up and all that, I'd talk about the maladaptive aspects of perfectionism and how, on the other side, it can be harnessed for good. Above all, I'd hope to guide them towards worrying less about the approval of the crowd and more on the mastery of the craft itself. But then again, I'm a guy on the internet, so listen to my bullshit at your own risk. So let's wrap it up with some final thoughts. First, there was a situation last week where I felt I had enough information to comment. Saka was down, White was begging the physios to come on the pitch, but they never did, and Saka limped around at right back for about eight minutes. I felt that I should have been taken more seriously, and he should have been subbed immediately. Otherwise, I acknowledge the information asymmetry that teams have over fans when it comes to player health. It sure feels like you should indeed play a fuck ton, but rest a bit more. It also doesn't feel like the Champions League is the time to do it. Second thought, when we're continuing to discover every week is that the front five are pretty sensitive to the interlocking dynamics of the other players on the line, and there are rarely like-for-like -like subs. 
Trossard, Havertz, Jesus, Odegaard, Saka would have likely worked out once Saka went out. There was enough 1v1 pressure on the wings by Vieira and Trossard, so Jesus tried to compensate by swinging right a lot. It feels like there always seems to be at least one dribbling threat out wide at all times, and some form of combined alchemy. A third thought, I was kind of flabbergasted by Vieira's shorter cameo upon rewatch of the Bournemouth game. Almost every action felt like it could have been an assist. He also drew the foul that led to the white goal. He wasn't as good against Lons, but I couldn't write him off at the right wing either. Whereas, you're in the dishwasher in the midfield, the wing can offer you a better view of the proceedings. Muller and Messi, always like camping out there to observe. Fourth, for all our bullshit, it feels like the fans are in general agreement about the approach against Man City. If possible, a rice party double pivot, with Havertz up front and Jesus at right wing, assuming Sokka's out. That all sounds good by me. Most interesting choice maybe at left back, where Arteta can go for a progressor in Zinchenko or defender in Kivior or Tomiyasu. If a double pivot is chosen, I'd probably lean toward the latter. Things will change based on injury updates. Three final thoughts. ESR is making a case for an upcoming league start with every passing week. I like the Saliba-Gabriel duo very much. Thank you. And man, those kits were so nice. Elite stuff. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, pass it around. Be good. This has been a recording by Arsenal Audible. Thank you for listening along.